All right, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, and I'll begin reading with verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, this evening we will take up where we left off last time in discussing these uh, terms that Paul uses for describing the works of the flesh. And we ended with sorcery, and we begin this evening with the term hatred. Now, basically all we're going to do is, is discuss the meanings of these words and how they relate to each other. Uh, a very uh, simple uh, exposition, but let me urge you to think about each of these terms because uh, all Christians are plagued by some of these things. Uh, even though, as Paul says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's true. But Christians are convicted about these things. They struggle with them. They turn away from them. They seek God's help in avoiding them and overcoming them. And then as we get into the fruit of the Spirit, uh, once again, we do, we'll do the same thing. Think about each of the terms that we're dealing with and how we want the Spirit of God to inculcate each of these virtues in our life. Now, if you think about it, you know, a lot of times we as Calvinists talk about God's work in our heart and how he changes our heart and the works that we do as Christians flow from the fact that we have been regenerated and we've been justified. And we talk about it as though it's an automatic thing. But in a sense it is because if it were not for for God's Spirit within and for the change that He's wrought within us, there would be no outward manifestation that was genuine. But in spite of the fact that that is the supernatural origin of, of good works, uh, Paul lists these things and he admonishes Christians to do certain things and to not do other things. So the mere uh, and I shouldn't say mere, the, the uh, reading of these things that Paul has written to us, the contemplation of them, thinking about them, letting the Holy Spirit deal with us about these things is part of the means that God uses to bring us to sanctification, a progressive sanctification to be more and more like Christ and to have these virtues in our life and to not have these evil things, these works of the flesh in our life. So the first thing that 
<coughs> he mentions is is um, hatred or enmity. Uh, it's hostility. It's opposition. One of the places this word is used is in Luke twenty three twelve. There's no need to turn there, but it speaks of the hate or enmity that existed between Herod Antipas and Pilate. We don't know what the cause of it was, but uh, prior to uh, the suffering of Christ, they were enemies. And because they did a little diplomatic uh, back and forth in relation to uh, the condemnation of Christ and the, the questioning of Him, they became friends again. And the hatred or enmity between them uh, dissipated. Uh, that's not the way that Christians are to get rid of hatred or enmity. And, uh, but it does give you an illustration of the usage of the word. For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to or at enmity with God. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says. Let's look at that. Or rather, it's long about verse 16, but I'll begin reading with verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And we know from our reading of the New Testament the extreme enmity that existed between Jew and Gentile. Uh, mostly, uh, from what uh, appears on the pages of the New Testament, originating in the attitude of the Jew. But also, we know uh, from, from secular history that there were oftentimes extreme attitudes of, of hatred by the Gentiles toward the Jews. So, that enmity is taken away in Christ. Now look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 43. And we have the noun form of the same word uh, that's used here for enmity. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So you see what's involved here? We're just talking about enemies. And that's what the word that's used here for enmity comes from, hatred. And this is something, a work of the flesh, that Christians are not to have. This kind of hatred or enmity. And we see from what Christ said there that even our enemies we are to love. So that natural hatred that we would have of our enemies, and we assume now that they're enemies because they chose to be enemies, not because of something bad we did to them. Something bad they did to us, we're still supposed to love them. So you see the extent here of getting rid of hatred or enmity. I mean, it's sort of an absolute, isn't it? I mean, if you can't have hatred or enmity towards somebody that's persecuting you and, 
making you their enemy, then uh, it doesn't leave much room for hatred or enmity. There's not much way to rationalize uh, or make a, a, a place for this type of attitude for the Christian. I think that having said all that, that what is what is being referred to here is sort of an attitude or disposition of hostility that uh, many people have. I remember uh, way back when I was working in Washington, uh, sometimes we would go to a bookstore that wasn't too far away. It was a Christian bookstore. At least it was uh, denominated a Christian bookstore. It was full of religious books. But once you went inside, you saw that they had every kind of religious book. It was uh, one of these uh, places where all the liberal Christian books uh, tended to predominate. They had a few conservative ones too. And uh, it was run by this family, uh, a man and a woman and their adult son. And as we browsed among the books, it became evident, this happened every time I went in there, that there was extreme enmity within this family. They hated each other. They, they were disgusted with each other continually. They were hostile to each other. They were constantly sniping at each other, constantly complaining to each other. It produced a, a, a terrible atmosphere. And they didn't seem to care that their customers were overhearing all that was going on. I suppose that the, the disposition of hostility, the hatred and enmity within this family was so great that it just came out regardless of the fact that other people were there. And then the next term that we have is contentions, or sometimes translated strife. Now, I might say here that you'll notice uh, in these words that uh, frequently one word kind of blends into the next. The words are related to each other. And sometimes uh, they're very intensely related, and sometimes you can see one growing out of the other. But that's not always the case. Sometimes there is a, a very great distinction between them. Uh, for instance, uh, murders don't usually uh, merge into drunkenness. Sometimes drunkenness produces murder, but not vice versa. So there are, there are terms that are listed here, one right after the other, that are very distinct from each other, but usually they, they kind of merge into each other. The same idea is associated, or associated ideas are associated with each other. So we come to contentions of strife. And this is referring to contentious quarreling, especially involving rivalry and wrangling. Uh, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, and chapter 3, verse 3, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 4, Romans 13, 13, you'll see that the word is associated with um, the term we'll later be seeing, which is translated, uh, well, I think here in the, in the King James Version, is translated envy. It's usually translated uh, by the modern versions as jealousy. Uh, and it's the next word that... that uh, it's the next word we'll be taking up. Now, jealousy 
which as I said is often translated envy in the King James Version. Um, but here in this case is translated jealousy. Means zeal or an eager desire. It can be used of a zeal for good things. As in 1 Corinthians 14.1 desire earnestly spiritual gifts. That's the word, same word for jealousy. Be jealous of spiritual gifts. Or it can be used of evil desire. Uh, an example of that uh, would be James chapter 3, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have... No, that's not right. Chapter 3, verse here. 3.14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts... Do not boast and lie against the truth. That's the same word, bitter envy. Uh, it can have the connotation of indignation. A good example of that is uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. That's that same word that's translated jealousy here. Or in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27, it's called fiery indignation. Or the ESV says fury of fire. So indignation that is fiery, which is what God is going to direct at the adversary in the book of Hebrews. And then we come to I have to keep checking to be sure I've, I've got the right term from the King James Version because I've got several versions here. We come to outbursts of wrath. The ESV calls it fits of anger. And it is an outburst of anger from an inward indignation. So you see the relationship with the previous word. The word carries a decided connotation of a blazing up. Whereas the word that's usually translated anger denotes a more settled and abiding condition and one that's frequently disposed to seek revenge. But this is a blazing up. It's not necessarily any, any continuing anger or, or seeking of revenge involved. It's a blazing up that, that comes out of uh, the indignation that we see in the preceding word. Outbursts of wrath. And then the next term is selfish ambitions. The ESV translates it rivalries. I think selfish ambitions is, an, is a translation that attempts to go and see the, the motive behind this, this uh, particular work of the flesh. Vine says that self-will is the underlying idea in the word and that therefore the word denotes party making or dividing up into parties. The word is used in 2 Corinthians 12.20. I just take a look at that. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults lest when I come again my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness 
fornication and lewdness which they have practiced. Uh, there, selfish ambitions is translated in the art revised version as factions. The Greek word derives originally from a word meaning hireling, and therefore it implies a desire to win followers. So you see what's probably involved here is you have a word that, that denotes party making, it denotes uh, dividing up into factions, and it uh, is associated with outbursts of wrath and with uh, uh, jealousy and envy and so forth. And, and you, can, you can view the person who is involved in this wanting to divide people up. Are you on his side or are you on my side? Is the attitude here that issues into rivalries. And then uh, the next word is dissensions. King James Version says seditions. <laughs> That's interesting. It's also translated divisions sometimes by the King James Version. Uh, two instances, Romans 16, 17 and 1 Corinthians 3, 3. The word means literally a standing apart. Dissensions. And then Heresies. Now these words that we've been going through so far are all very closely related, aren't they? And you see them in other lists in the New Testament where they are related to each other. Uh, the ESV translates the word that the King James Version translates heresies, translates it by divisions. It means literally a choosing or choice and then that which is chosen. So it's an opinion, especially a self-willed opinion, which leads to division and the formation of sex. Always involved is a disposition not to submit to the truth. Often personal preference is involved or the prospect of personal advantage. Oh, look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly will bring in destructive heresies. There's the same word. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And then uh, the word uh, envy. It denotes the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of other people. Uh, look at uh, Titus chapter 1. Excuse me, ch Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were once were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. There's the word envy. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
Always the contrast between the works of the flesh and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But you see there how the envy is, is associated with hating, hating one another, malice. Now, the King James Version, as I said before, uh, translates uh, jealousy usually by envy. And the distinction is this, that, that envy, the word we have here in this, in this, uh, uh, verse and the one we've just been talking about, envy desires to deprive another person of what he has, while jealousy desires the same sort of thing for oneself. Maybe not too much of a distinction, but that's the distinction that I think Vine gives. And then we have uh, murders. How many of these things would issue forth in murder uh, if the law, meaning the criminal law, did not restrain people? And how often these things do issue forth in murder in spite of the criminal law restraining people? Look at uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. And then look at Revelation chapter 20. Excuse me, chapter 9, verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And then the next term is drunkenness, which means drunk with wine, as you would expect. The word derives from mulled, as in mulled wine. Mulled means to heat, sweeten, and spice. So this is talking about the drink, the drunkenness that derives from alcohol. And then there uh, uh, is revelries. It's an interesting word and requires a little bit of explanation perhaps to to get the meaning here. If we look at Romans chapter 13, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So we see that that uh, here again this word is associated with sexual immorality, sensuality, and drunkenness. It implies carousing, meaning sleeping around. And it's translated by the ESV as orgies. Now, orgies is not a word that we use that often. <clears throat> and I haven't looked it up in the dictionary, but but it conjures up in my mind just the grossest kind of sexual immorality, maybe group sex or something like that. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I should have looked it up in the English uh, dictionary. Uh, but this word that's translated here, revelries, 
In classical Greek, the word was used for celebration, such as a joyful procession and banquet for someone who uh, deserved to be honored. Now, that's classical Greek, not New Testament Greek. Uh, probably, rather than orgy, we should think of what many young people mean today by partying. Lots of alcohol, loud music, dancing, and very likely sexual immorality associated with it. Just that loose partying spirit, I think, is what is meant here. Where uh, it's expected you're part of that that situation in which you drink, and sexual immorality is is very likely going to be the result. This is what I think is meant by this word. So this list of things is what Paul refers to in Ephesians 5.11, which is just the next book over, as the unfruitful works of darkness. And this is kind of an associated passage, so I'm going to read it. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Wherefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And Paul says, those who behave in such ways, those who habitually indulge in such things, will be excluded from the kingdom of God. Those who do such things show themselves to be without the gift of faith that brings justification. Here is what Calvin said, commenting on this verse. This last phrase. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. For who is there who does not labor under one of these sins, one or other of these sins? I reply, Paul does not threaten that there shall be excluded from the kingdom of God all who have sinned, but all who remain impenitent. The saints themselves are heavily burdened, but they return to the way. Because they do not surrender, they are not included in this catalog. All the threatenings of God's judgments call us to repentance, for which pardon is always ready with God, 
But if we continue obstinate, they will be a testimony against us. Okay, let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father, we thank you so much for the light of your word. We thank you for being so patient with us and admonishing us and directing us by your spirit. We thank you for the wonderful salvation that we have in Jesus Christ alone. And we just praise you and thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.